Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another brand new episode of Back to Basics. Despite every attempt so far to render this not the case, I remain Pastor Don, and joining me is the magnificent Courtly Fraley. Say hi. Did you say Courtly? No, I don't think I did. Maybe I did. Uh, I don't know. Anyway. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, come on. I, I, I am an educated man with oratorial training who spends most of his life talking. Do you think I pay attention to what comes out of my mouth? No. <laughs> so today we are going to start down the long road that gets us from there to here. And we are going to deal with the story of Joseph and his Technicolor. We don't actually know what it was. Um, this is what? <laughs> oh, we'll get there. Um, this is a long set here. Like the story of Joseph keeps going on for multiple chapters. So we are going to be locked into this for, we're starting at 37 now, and I am flipping ahead to see where this ends. I'm up to 44 already. I'm honestly pretty stoked. This is like one of my favorite Bible stories. Five, uh, 46, I think. 46-ish is going to be where we're on to something new. So we are on, we're going to be here for nine or 10 chapters, which means a minimum of nine or 10 episodes. And you know, we got probably more. So I would say within reason, you can expect us to be with the story of good old dear boy, Joe, for at least until there's uh, the barest hints of snow in the air. Um, uh, That's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, admittedly climate change is a thing so maybe not but you know we'll see uh, <sighs> depends on how quickly our capitalist overlords are burning the planet anyway let's go on and talk about joseph um yes. i'm gonna go ahead and read we're gonna start today with chapter 37 and we're just gonna go start to finish with this chapter now we could read the whole thing at once or we could kind of stop as we're going along anytime you identify something worth talking about. Uh, I will um, put that dice roll in your hands today. What do you want to do? I'll I'll let you know if I want to stop and talk. All right, let's yeah, do that. And, that. and then we can go through and pick up other stuff at the end. Now, in order to make this interesting, dear listener and or viewer or reader somehow, I don't know how that would work. Anyway, Dear person who is observing or inquiring our words in some way or another, um, I am going to be reading from Robert Alter's translation of the Hebrew Bible, which is, as I've mentioned, on literally every podcast or video I've ever been in that discusses the Old Testament, in my opinion, the best, most detailed translation out there. Um, however, it's not a readily or easily accessible one. The reason I'm doing this is twofold. One, because I think it's just awesome. It rocks and I like it. And this is, you know, partly my show. So screw you. I'm going to read what I want. Um, the other reason for that is I'm going to give dear Courtney a chance here to read along in the NRSVUE, which is the most academically viable, accessible translation out there. So she's going to be following along in a different translation. And we're going to play a little game of spot the differences you know like those old magazines we always read in the dentist office yes i'm a millennial deal with it um <laughs> so without further ado or random bs allow me to begin with genesis chapter 37 all right and jacob dwelled in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of canaan 
This is the lineage of Jacob. Joseph, 17 years old, was tending the flock with his brothers, assisting the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, the wives of his father. And Joseph brought ill report of them to his father. And Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, for he was the child of his old age, and he made him an ornamented tunic. And his brothers saw it was he their father loved more than all his brothers, and they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and told it to his brothers, and they hated him all the more. And he said to them, listen, pray to this dream that I dreamed. And look, we were binding up sheaves in the field. And look, my sheaf arose and actually stood up. And look, your sheaves drew round and bowed to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, do you mean to reign over us? Do you mean to rule us? And they hated him all the more. For his dreams and for his words and he dreamed yet another dream and recounted it to his brothers and he said look i dreamed a dream again and look the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing to me and he recounted it to his father and to his brothers and his father rebuked him and said what is this dream you have dreamed shall we really come i and your brothers or are shall we really come i and your mother and your brothers to bow before you to the ground and his brothers were jealous of him well his father kept the thing in mind all right, we need to pause because all right, we'll we'll pause here. This is it's a bit going. I'm sorry. I kind of relate to his brothers here. Like what what kind of a thing is that? I mean, like, hey, I'm having crazy dreams where all of you serve me. And yeah. multiple times, like you too, mom and dad. I, I feel like I'd be like, no. Yeah. Like that's there not is, how any of this works. There Come is on. a lot going on here. And first off, like I think it's worth noting that the reverence with which dreams are treated in this context is kind of different from how we're treated nowadays. Like, okay. though I will preface this by saying, we still don't know the fuck dreams are. We don't know. Mm -hmm. We have no more of an idea what they are now scientifically than we did back then. We don't. Um, we don't know what our brain's doing with them or why they happen. We have theories and guesses, but we really don't know. We're getting closer to finding out how. We're getting <laughs> We're getting the clo closer to finding out the mechanism of how they work, I've heard, but I don't think we've understood why they happen. No, we're getting to where we might be able to listen in. Yeah, because that's how uh, right? science works. <laughs> we don't care how it works as long as we can spy on it. But seriously, though, so I'm going to preface this by saying we're we really have no more of an understanding of why dreams happen or what they're for now than we did back then. However, modernly, we tend to view them as an artifact of the brain's processing system and not as something spiritual or ephemeral or incomprehensible, which, okay, like I grew up as a rationalist. I am a rationalist in many ways. Uh, I get it. I totally do. Uh, I will say, however, there's enough in our lack of knowledge about how science works for me to say that it could be both spiritual and ephemeral and scientifically valid at the same time. I think dreams are fucking weird. I wonder if sometimes if dreams aren't a touch on the future or alternate realities or some connection to the ways in which we are more than meat bags. Um, more than meets the eye, much like a transformer. Yeah. Well, uh, I was going for the future arm reference, but I'll take it anyway. Um, so, like, that being said, it's worth noting that in our modern context, we regard them with significantly less reverence than would be done then. So, in this context, it's not quite as 
dramatic, but it is closer to like making up a prophecy about yourself might be. So it's less about, hey, hey, look at this weird thing that popped into my head while I happened to be sleeping. It's like, no, the Lord spake to me in my head in the night, in the depth of the night, and I'm going to be your God. Like, there is a level of assumed arrogance in that because that's not normally how this shit works. Well, and like, like doing <laughs> that after the other stuff, mm -hmm. like... Yeah, if if the parents pick one kid and clearly favor them, that's going to make the other ones feel bad and like be mad at the other kid. No, like, and it's worth noting, and I, I think this is really important here to note. Uh, like, this doesn't justify what comes later by any respect, but it is an important contextual detail. Uh, um, Joseph was a real little dick, like. This isn't just like us assuming from context here. I'm going to read this out of Alter's translation notes on verse two, where it talks about the whole brought ill report bit, uh, where Alter's translation reads, his notes read as follow. The first revelation of Joseph's character suggests a spoiled younger child who is a tattletale. The next revelation in the dreams uh, intimates adolescent narcissism, even if the grandiosity is eventually justified by events. So like we're dealing with a, bitchy little tattletale who grows up into a narcissist like this is not as is our theme with biblical heroes we're not yeah. starting with someone who is saint of saints like everyone who's ever done no this you're starting with a human being and we tend to be dicks look. Yeah. Like, but anytime any one of us has done this in sunday school it's always been oh look at joseph he's the perfect cute little kid who didn't do anything wrong and his daddy loved him and put him in a nice coat and his brothers murdered him or attempted to anyway like it ain't nearly as cut and dry like that. Like, Joseph was a little bitch. He was a pain in the ass. Like, so he the was... picture that it, the picture that it seems like it's painting, mm -hmm. and the, uh, for the for the spot the differences thing, the yeah. wording is different. But there was no confusion for meaning at all. I was like, this all means the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think we're gonna see a lot, but there, there's one coming up, and I think it's verse nineteen that I think may catch your eye. If I look at my side beside here, 18. Yeah, I have this one in verse 19 that's really going to catch your eye, I think, or at least it caught mine. Uh, but that said, another point I did want to raise, at least for, for this early section, is in verse three, uh, we get Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, for he was the child of his old age. And then later on, we get in um, verse 11-ish, um, uh, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall we really come, I and your mother and your brothers, to bow before you uh, to the ground? Uh, his mother's dead? Like, Wait. So, yeah. yeah, there's a couple of different things that are happening here that are, are worth noting. Um, first off, we have this parallelism, right? Israel, who is Jacob, has a favorite son. Does this sound familiar? Like he's literally redoing what his father did with him in SL. Yeah. So again, we have the father imitating the son, Abraham and Isaac. Um, uh, like the same thing happening again. You've got that piece. You also have, for he was a child of his old age. He wasn't. Benjamin was the youngest. So also that seems weird. And the way this is written almost to me at least suggests 
that um it's kind of like Jacob that is Israel is is favoriting Joseph because of his residual if you will love for Rachel but doesn't want to admit it to save face so he constructs his whole child of old age thing so we see here in the way that he doesn't to, to me at least there's not necessarily translational ground for this but to me at least it looks like he doesn't want to say I love you because I loved Rachel but he kind of is and then we get later on where he kind of slips up and is like and your mother mom's dead dude um like we we see Israel repeatedly slipping up into this way of thinking that almost seems to connect Joseph and Rachel in very particular ways. Um, and so that introduces an emotional level that, again, does not justify, but at least puts a little explanation, I think, into the hell is going on with Israel and this weird favoritism. Make sense? I hope. Yeah. Okay. All righty, let's let's pick it back you... up. Um, verse twelve is where we left off. Right Shall on. we continue? Yeah. All right. Just shout out when you want me to stop again. And his brothers went to graze their father's flock at Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, "You know, your brothers are pasturing at Shechem. Come, let me send you to them." And he said to him, "Here I am." And he said to him, go pray to see how your brothers fare and how the flock fares and bring me back word. And he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him and look, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him saying, what is it you seek? And said, he said, my brothers I seek. Tell me, pray, where are they pasturing? And the man said, they have journeyed on from here for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And they saw him from afar before he drew near, and they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to each other, here comes that dream master. And so now let us kill him and fling him into one of the pits, and we can say a vicious beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will come of his dreams. And Reuben heard and came to his rescue and said, we must not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, fling him into this pit in the wilderness and do not raise a hand against him that he might rescue him from their hands to bring him back to his father. And it happened when Joseph came to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the ornamented tunic that he had on him. And they took him and flung him into the pit and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread and they raised their eyes and saw and Look, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead and their camels bearing gum and balm and laudanum on their way to take down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, what gain is there if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and our hand will not be against him for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. And Midianite merchantmen passed by and pulled Joseph up out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph to Egypt. And Reuben came back to the pit, and look, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his garments, and he came back to his brothers, and he said, the boy is gone, and I, where can I turn? And they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a kid and dipped the tunic in the blood, and they sent the ornamented tunic and had it brought to their father. And they said, this we found. 
recognized prey is it your son's tunic or not and he recognized it and he said it is my son's tunic a vicious beast has devoured him joseph is torn to shreds to shreds you say <laughs> I, I had to to shreds you say <laughs> i had to and jacob rent his clothes and put on sackcloth around his waist and mourned for his son many days and all his sons and all his daughters rose to console him, and he refused to be consoled. And he said, rather, I will go down to my son in Sheol in the morning, or Sheol morning. Oh, sorry. Rather, I will go down to my son in Sheol morning. And his father keened for him. But the Midianites had sold him to Egypt, into Egypt to Pot... I always screw this one up. Egypt to Pot Potiphar. I always want to say Potiphar. Potiphar. Potiphar, Pharaoh's courtier, the high chamberlain. Thus endeth the chapter. <laughs> I hear the high chamberlain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> hey. spicy. So, all right. Um, it's I'm. This is another one of those stories where I'm having a hard time having that much to say because it's like, yes, I'm very familiar with the story. So, mm. how about you tell us what's more than meets the eye on this? All right. Well, there's a lot of little things here. Like the thing is, we many of us went to Sunday school, not all of us, I'm sure. But those of us who did, like we know the general beats of this story. It's not an unknown to us. Uh, but within those beats are things we did not expect, things we did not know. Uh, like we get a lot of linguistic stuff in here. Um what I liked in verse 19, as you may have noticed if you're checking the side-by-side -side comparison, rather than dreamer, they referred to him as dream master. Dream master. Which I freaking oh, love. I, ass I assume there was a goofy face from my angle for that. I was just like, <laughs> dream master. Yeah, that sounds like a dreamer. time lord, and I love it. Yeah, it is, has the exact same goofy level of pretense as time lord. You're absolutely right. Yeah. The dream master. Reminds me of the game master, honestly. Yeah. But it, it also made sense as mm -hmm. a translation for it. You know, yeah. this guy who has dreamed that he's in charge. Yeah. And I'll reference this from the notes, too, is the pomposity of rendering this as dream master in English, as Alter does, uh, echoes the construction in the Hebrew. Bahal uh, uh, mm -hmm. which is super strong and carries with it like an almost obscene level of sarcasm. <laughs> just referring to it as a dreamer, like, <laughs> dream master. <laughs> That's kind of what's going on here. Like, they're laying it on thick is what they're doing. And that doesn't really carry over in English with all oh, the dreamer. Like, oh, he's up in his head. He's up in the clouds. No, this is the man who considers himself the master of dreams, which ironically, he kind of turns out to be in the end. So, you know, <laughs> reversals in the scripture being what they are. But still, in this moment, there is just like a huge level of sarcasm that's being laid on here that doesn't carry over in more traditional translations. And I absolutely love that. We also have as old as time. It was <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sarcasm is truly the tale as old as time. Sorry, Bell. Um, uh, so we also have, and this is something I don't know about you. I never got this in Sunday school, the back and forth with Reuben like oh it seemed like oh there was one brother who had who wanted to try and do good but also not get get in trouble with his brothers and all that so you know yeah so this is like for me personally if if i were to preach on genesis 37 today 
I would be preaching about Reuben. Um, because Reuben here demonstrates quite clearly the failure of middle road and appeasement politics. <laughs> like, this is a guy who's like, look, I don't want to piss off all these guys on the right that are all for murder. So why don't we let just a little abuse happen? And then I'll try and swoop in and kind of save them in a kind of uh, uh, you know, display sort of way. I'll, I'll come in later and, you know, performatively save a little bit. And then everybody can be happy and know there'll be no conflict. And everybody will be all right. And I'm just a little white-haired church lady who doesn't want to say that the gays are unwelcome. Doesn't want to say they're welcome. You know, it's that exact sort of mindset. Like, Reuben isn't bad per se. Reuben isn't good per se. He just kind of is. Like he's trying to walk a middle line. And despite what pretty much every white folk sitting in a church pew in America will tell you these days, the middle line ain't part of the Christian journey. Like <laughs> that ain't our spot. We have our lane. That ain't it. Um, so right here, the end result of Ruben's choice to, okay, I'm going to let, I'm, I'm going to say, don't kill him. Don't kill him knock him into a pit a little bit that nobody will prosper from that and then later i'm like oh prosper you say i have 20 pieces of silver that says that's a great idea but that's yeah, actually I, I i noticed that uh that he didn't pipe up again for oh wait no it sounds like he didn't know that part though yeah returned and saw that he wasn't in the pit yeah he he left and come back okay yeah so yeah, we get, uh, where is it? Uh, Reuben came back to the pit. Um, so Alter says so right did he here. Leave? Did he leave before they all were like, hey, what if we sell him? Well, this is Alter's translation notes right here. I'll read it. The contradiction okay. between the two versions continues since one is driven to assume that Reuben was not present at the fraternal meal during which the selling of Joseph was discussed, though there is no textual indication of his absence. Yeah. Um, so like, as typical, we're dealing with multiple accountings of the same story being fused together. Something probably got missed missed in the mix. Okay. <laughs> That's my assumption right here. Um, it's interesting to me, too, in verse 30, we get, like, the boy is gone. Like, uh, the, the literally in the Hebrew, it's the boy is not, um, which is euphemistic in its presentation uh, in a way that is uh, unusual but also relays very quickly into the way that the, the brothers presented to their father later on. And they're like, yeah, he is not. He's just not. Jo Joseph is no. Like, they leave it so vague. And this is, like, as someone who is a parent of... He has of, ceased to be! <laughs> he is an ex-Joseph. Like, this, though, is something that as a as a parent of children, multiple children, I see all the time. Like kids are fantastic at this, where they present something in vague terms that suggest an interpretation and then let their parents draw their own conclusions and then ride those conclusions off into the sunset. Like, like yeah, Joseph is no more. Oh my God, he's been devoured by wild beasts. Yes, that, that's what happened. Like this whole exchange is like sibling 101. A boy, God, do I get this? Like, there is relatability that's present in this, even in the, the atrocity of what's happening here. Like the technique of what they're doing, I oh, I see that. I totally get that. There is a humanity in what's happening here that is unmistakable. All right. 
And for the record, in case yeah, there's, anybody, there's, there's a lot. Of, I'm, I seem to be picking up a lot about uh, what it's like to be a sibling from the Old Testament. You know, you're not wrong. A <laughs> lot of sibling rivalry in the Old Testament. Um, in, in fact, a lot of modern religious history is just an extension of sibling rivalries. So that's a discussion for another day. Um, I will say, um, for those of you who aren't familiar in um, more specific uh, animal husbandry terms, when we, when we said they slaughtered a kid and dipped his coat in the blood, talking about a baby goat. Uh, just want to be clear about yeah, that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't say anything because my translation said goat, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of. I don't really want to stop the train here to clarify that. Yeah, no, it's it's worth mentioning though. Like, yeah, they slaughtered it a kid, is. by which we mean a goat, a young goat. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't just go on a toddler smashing spree just because they didn't get to kill their own brother. Like, it's not how that. Works. Yeah, it's still more information than this one. It just says slaughter to go. It doesn't say specifically a kid. Yeah. So, um, and that's like that's another thing for us all to keep in mind too when we're reading the Bible is English translations tend to be less specific than the Hebrew originals, um, mostly because English translate like English is a less specific language than most. Like we are constructionally specific, not verbally specific. So we will describe things in intricate detail. But we don't have specific words as much, and we don't. Or at least we do sometimes. We don't always use them. Uh, so context. You have to get fl more flowery if we want to paint a picture. Exactly, uh, because we build description by adding words and structures rather than by using more specific and narrow focused vocabulary. Hebrew does that. Japanese does that. A lot of languages do have narrow and more specific vocabulary. We really don't. Uh, hmm. We do adverbs and adjectives, and you know adding on prepositional phrase upon prepositional phrase until your whole sentence is a page long. Like we do shit like that, which does not lend itself to translational accuracy because it looks like you're adding shit. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes English translators will just say, look, let's we'll go with a nonspecific word. Nobody really needs that detail. Uh, but that's an But you do that con consistently and you're losing a lot of what's there. Yeah. Like it it really is like like reading the English is really like looking at a low resolution copy of an image. Like I mean I can't really put it any better like that. Like it's got less pixels than the original. No, that's that I think that's a, probably a very useful uh metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anything else we want to dig into this or uh, I think we've had a pretty solid episode here. I I'm surprised yeah. we got through the chapter as quick as we did. I mean, again, I feel like this is a story that a lot of, I mean, the, the movie, the Joseph movie, uh, Prince of Egypt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Went to my whole family for uh, Christmas one time, for crying out loud. Like, that, that people Rep. know this story. Point of order, oh, uh, that's wait. Moses. <laughs> yeah, sorry, that one was Moses. <laughs> but there was a, there was a, there was a, a Joseph movie too, wasn't there? And the amazing technicolor. Yeah, there was the, uh, there was, was the, like amazing the technicolor dream coat and all, all that stuff. I out thought there, too. there was, I thought there was an animated version of this too. Oh, well, anyway, it's still, it's a well-known story. Yeah, it, it, it is a well-known before, story. Before we go, I do have one thing. Yo. Can't believe we were going to leave this hanging. You said, uh, amazing technicolor. We don't actually know what it was. Yeah, because uh, it's often it seems pretty clear that it was yeah tunic or this says like robe I think colors yada 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 uh like he was given this nice rainbow kimono or whatever the hell we render it as when we put it on stage and screen um so 
I'm going to I'm going to read again from Alter because I find just his insights onto how this is. No, I wish it was a more accessible translation, yeah. but by inaccessible, we mean it is unbelievably expensive. Yeah, it's it's pricey, like for good reason. The man puts a hell of work into it. Yeah, like, he, he deserves every penny he asks for it. Um, and I'm just thankful to be able to have gotten a copy. Uh, my wife got it for me as a present and she is amazing. Um, so I'm going to read. um his description on the phrase ornamented tunic, his notes here. He says, the only clue about the nature of the garment is offered by one, by the one other mention of it in the Bible, in the story of the rape of Tamar in 2 Samuel 13, in which, incidentally, there's a whole network of pointed allusions to the Joseph story. There we are told that the ketonet pasim, which is the Hebrew for it here, was worn by virgin princesses. It is thus a unisex garment and a product of ancient haute couture. E.A. Spicer cites a cuneiform text with an apparently cognate phrase that seems to indicate a tunic with applique ornamentation. Other scholars have pointed to a 14th century BCE Egyptian fresco showing captive Canaanite noblemen adorned with tunics made of longitudinal panels soon sewn together. So we're either dealing with some sort of virginal holy garment that's kind of decorated or some sort of like nobleman's jacket that is like covered with applique panels or stuff like that. We're not dealing with, oh, he just made a pretty rainbow coat for his son because it was pretty and he loves his boy. That's not what's happening. Like this is a specific sign of one of several potential social statuses, either a like little boots holy person or like the suit of suits to so say, huh, look at me, I am in charge of the business. Yeah, and so it basically it basically made him a coat that says I'm a fancy man. Yes, pretty much. Like, pretty much. Um, he made like, him literal fancy pants. So, like, yeah, the the like color... setting like how would you as a parent not realize that you were setting your kid up to for like problems? But I like keep in mind that from uh Jacob that is Israel's perspective, like he was the recipient of his mother's favoritism. Yeah, he went through some shit, but it all worked out real great for him in the end. Oh, jeez. Like, oh. It, it, it's I guess we're all repeating what we're given and trying to give it another boost on the way along it's, the line. It's also worth understanding, too, that we're talking about a period in time where there was no internet, there wasn't a greater shared culture, there wasn't a lot of interactions between tribes or groups. So people didn't have the benefit of learning from each other's experiences saying, oh, wow, this is, these are patterns that are unhealthy. They literally only had their own experience to draw upon when figuring out how to teach their kids. And so it's not out of the ordinary, or at least not not understandable, for Jacob to be like, I had some bumps around the road, but you know it worked for me. Like, I'll let my kid pay their own way through college; you'll be fine. Like, you know, stuff like that. Like, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, man. It worked out fine for me. Like, he's basically boomer dadding it. Like, you're my favorite. Deal with it. You're gonna get some shit for it, but that's life, dude. Toughen up. Like, hundred percent boomer parent right here. All right. All right. Well, anything do we have anything want... else to go over on? <laughs> well, if we're both asking that, I think the answer yeah, is I think, no. I think we have hit the the end of things for today. So in the next one, we're going to start digging into that 38 a and find chunky out. Chunky chapter what... we got through, too. Good stuff. Yeah, we're going to have chunky chapters for a while. Like that, that's going to be our thing for a minute because this, this is, like I said, 
nine or ten chonky chapters full of narrative heavy stuff that's happening there's going to be illusions there's going to be callbacks this is basically bible the motion picture we've been doing bible the tv series limited edition up till now now it's bible the motion picture we'll get the sequel later with moses um so that's pretty much it so if you've stuck around to the end thanks for for joining us it's been an absolute hoot uh by the time this comes out i i don't know exactly the release date yeah i think this will come out before yet our monthly worship service which will be on the uh first sunday of september uh that's on our youtube channel and in our discord server so you can join in on the server and comment live in the discussions because we have discussions in our service because hey we're all about talking through shit and not just passively receiving it um so you can join us we take communion so it's, it's a fun deal if you're in Japan, um, we're doing events here at the church a lot more these days as well. Uh, if you're not in Japan, Discord server is where it is at. For the love of God, come yep. join us. We are doing stuff. We've even kicked off our new member class, uh, which by the time this airs should be, assuming everyone's done their jobs, should be going in full force about that. We're looking for people to join the church to help us do stuff, to build this up to the wonderful spiritual juggernaut that can kick Joel Osteen's uninformed ass. That's what we're looking <laughs> for here. Um, right out the door. Um, so failing all that, we've got our YouTube channel, which is presumably where you're watching this if you're watching it. Uh, we've got our podcast uh, stream, which is where I'm presuming you're listening to it if you're not watching it on YouTube. And hey, each of you, go check out the other people's place because it's fun. Um, that, and of course, for you YouTube folk, our, our dear beloved Courtney does have a request for you. Like, share, and subscribe. Yeah. Don't forget to hey, comment. Oh, yay. So that is the please do that thing. Please, please, please. Oh my God, please. That helps. It really does help. Uh, in the meantime... I want you all to have a wonderful week. Uh, I'm thinking about you this week. I'm praying for you, and I hope God's with you too. You guys take care. Bye. All right. Bye.